Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to the latest episode of Biblo Escapes and Discussion. Today, I am joined by uh, Southern-based photographer James Osman. Good evening, James. Hi, how are you, Ian? Thank you very much for joining me this evening. Um, real pleasure to have you here to talk about your book, um, Mud Sand, which I know has been out for a few years now. Um, but before we talk about your book, it would be great just if you could give us an introduction to your work, your photography, and, and your photographic journey. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, um, I used to be able to say I was a professional outdoor photographer um, in that all of my income came from that pursuit. Yep. Um, that was a fair while ago. Um, since then, I started having a family. So it was only one of the things that I do <laughs> from that point onwards. Uh, yeah. So, you know, then I was a photographer and also a stay-at-home dad. Um, yep. Then we moved to a pretty dilapidated listed building um, and it cost all of our money. So I then had to become a photographer, a dad and a house restorer all at the yes. same time. Yep. And that got pretty manic. And um, uh, yeah, when you're trying to do three things that are extremely time consuming and you're trying to do them well, you, can, you, you can't do them all particularly well. Um, so I decided to park photography for a bit and concentrate on making a safe roof for the family yep. you know, and also to try and raise the family properly because you know when you try and fob kids off with uh, giving them your full time they won't have it yes and they grow up quickly and there's no point uh you know there's no point missing all that absolutely um yeah so um i've parked that for a while and then i've sort of finished restoring the house uh and i'm sort of in the process of trying to revive my I don't know, quite static photography career, as well as other careers as well. Okay. Um, um, yeah, so it's interesting that the world of photography seems to have moved on whilst I've been paused from it. Um, and um, so whereas I used to uh, kind of base my entire work around stock photography back when yes. it was um, profitable to do so, yep. um, it's getting less and less that way now, as I'm yep. sure many yep. of you know. Um, so now I'm kind of approaching it a little more, I've sort of come to the idea that actually it would be a lot more enjoyable for me just to, just to have it in the background and, and, and just interact with it, you know, as and when I want to. Yes. Yeah. And to find other ways to, um, to keep the bank account healthy. And, yep. um, <laughs> so that's kind of where I am at the moment. Um, yep. yeah. Sounds a great, sounds a, a very good position to be in and I've, I've, I followed your blog when you've been a restoring the restoring your house. So fairly oh, yeah. to you because it's, cer <laughs> it's certainly something I would never have any interest in uh, in taking up that that challenge. No thanks. Um, so I, I take I tip my hat off to you with regard to that. Um, it's strangely enjoyable. It's strangely satisfying. It's extremely hard physical work. You know, you, you sleep well in, at night, um, and it is quite interesting. It, that's sort of what I've, I've steered off. You know, as a sort of side from that, you know, especially an interest in historic buildings. Yeah, that's what uh, part of my new career is um, exploring um, um, uh, a career in, in in landscape gardening and garden design. Oh, very nice. Because I just like heavy work, and also, you know, obviously having been in landscape, so I really like uh, the outdoors. Absolutely. And it's work outdoors, and that's sort yeah. of what drove me to be, you know, going to landscape photography in the first place. I just love the outdoors in all its shapes and sizes and all of its you know, weather conditions and all of its guises. Um, I really love it. And this is a way to 
maintaining an outdoor career as well as enjoying an outdoor pastimes and hopefully enjoying photography more yeah. as a pastime. Yeah, it's a, it sounds certainly a good balance. Um, so yeah, yeah. it's uh, yeah as you say, it's great to be outdoors, and if you combine that with some of your loves and passions, then e- even better. Um, but uh, yeah, obviously, you number of years ago you brought out a book, Mud Sand, um, and what what I really find quite really quite enjoyable is the fact that you probably have as much of a love of maps as I do because oh, yes. it's it's when it's when you see I don't see the walls in the background decorated with OS maps. <laughs> um, but yeah it's it's I, I find it fascinating to to un, to understand more about your passion for maps and how how you just really came to 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 fix upon OS was it 140 as being the, the location point for this project really. Well, um, gosh, can you hear all that in the background where you are? Sorry, there's a... No, it's, it's okay. Okay, you can hear it. Okay, good. Sorry, it's, it's a bit noisy, Aaron. Um, we've got hot air balloons going over as well, which is odd. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just, wherever, we, wherever I go in the, you know, the country, I mean, a lot of landscape people do the same, I suppose. You know, your first port of call is, is, is the OS maps. And yep. I, I just love trying to read the shape of a landscape, for example, you know, from looking at the... Looking, you know, just at the sheet map. Now yeah. I know that OS now have got lots of 3D kind of modeling maps that you yes. can look at, which is sort of does it for you, which I think yeah. is awesome. But um but that's more recent and that's by technology that I'm not really um up to date. So I still yeah. just like to kind of translate those um contour lines and try yeah. and imagine the shapes of the hills and whatnot before you get there. So I do a lot of that and um and yeah after um what, you know when I was recently uh, when I first got married my wife and I lived in New Zealand for a bit and then we decided to move back to the UK and we thought you know the, the UK is our oyster where on earth shall we move to and we yep. settled on Bristol for various reasons and it's not a part of the country I knew well at all that's brought up in Birmingham and um and so when we kind of settled here I thought right this is my new turf um um I need to go out and explore it and get some stock photos you know yep. that's where we're settling down and doing and so you like constantly looking at maps of the Somerset levels, the Bristol Channel coast I was quite interested in. Um, I'd never been to the Bristol Channel coast as an adult before. I think I'd been as a child and I couldn't really remember it. And I remember my first trip to the beach thinking, oh, I'll go to the, you know, go to the beach, see what it's like, and being utterly shocked that the, the, the tide was out. And in the Bristol Channel, when the tide's out, you can't even see the sea. Um, yes. The mudflats are so far. And there's yep. no sand to be seen. It's all mud. And yep. it was on a fairly bleak day and the place looked awful. And um, I remember thinking, this is really strange because, you know, my expectation on, you know, from looking at the maps was that, you know, it's a bit of seaside. It'll be either rocks and sea or there might be some sand or something. And it, was, it wasn't like that. So I thought, well, I've got to look a lot more closely here. So, you know, got out the OL140, whatever it was, and I was looking along the coast and you can see it says in places, here is mud and sand. Yes. And I was like, oh, I see. It's, you know, they do know that, you know, you sort of look a bit closer. And then I started thinking, you know, with my GCSE geography head on, you know, thinking how the River Severn is coming into the Bristol Channel. And, and it's, you know, the longest river in the UK, I think. Uh, and it's washing all of that sediment down with it. And I'm thinking, well, of course, that's where all the mud's coming from. And no, yeah. no wonder the beaches are covered in mud. And, um, I thought, well, okay, that was that was great, and I, it, I sort of left it then for for a while because um, you know I was it was interesting, but photographically for me, it didn't really do anything. You know, at that particular time, I was a 
a stock photographer and stock photography is really, you know, um, well, the success I was having was with taking a certain style of picture, which was in idealized light. You know, the idea yep. is trying to make something look as good as it can. Yes. You know, to try and be aspirational, you know, that you, you want to be there. And that's, yep. you know, people that buy the pictures, buy that sort of picture. Um, and it was only like, you know, then a few years later, after having done this kind of work for so long, um, I was getting a little bit in a rut, you know, it was, I was sort of just chasing good weather, good light. And, and though it is nice to be outdoors in good weather and good light and getting what you might call pretty pictures of it, yep. you know, from a photographic point of view, it's a little bit sort of samey, you know, yeah, there's no re- talent repet- there. Repetitive, yes. Yeah, yeah. It was a little bit like that. And, um, and then a, a friend of mine on the way back from a cricket match once, we were just crossing the River Avon and it was low tide. And he commented and he sort of said, it's not much of a river, is it? You know, because at low tide, it's just mud with a trickle of water through it. Yeah. And it doesn't look like a classic kind of river. And um, and that kind of stuck with me then because I thought, well, it's kind of right and it kind of isn't because this is the nature of the river. Absolutely. And a lot of people sort of say it's ugly, you know, because of the tidal nature of it. And um, it kind of thought, you know, it kind of sparked my interest as a photographer. I thought, well, can I sort of, explore this as a subject and bring out the beauty in it you know the, what, yes. what it is about a muddy sort of coastline or a muddy estuary that's you know that's worth looking at and that's what got me started on the uh, on the project really looking yeah because it's, it's not what you would class your your typical british seascapes with the flowing dunes um, and the sand yeah. but that's part for me that's part of the beauty of the appeal is that it's not that but yet it's it's a, it's a phenomenal, beautiful body of work that represents what that location is, and I think also tonally it just works so well in the in in black and white because of because of the the, the subject matter that you're you're shooting with the the heavy yeah. dark mud the 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 water very still just giving that light and then and then the sky as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's the it's the reflective nature of it which then got me quite excited because I. It, me- it meant also that you know I could go out on what I used to call sort of hit and miss days. Um, yeah. You know, if I was ever going anywhere far, I would try and play it safe because of the by this time stock photography the margins were getting pretty tight. So uh, in order to play it safe, you'd make sure that you weren't driving and staying overnight and doing a shoot without coming away with the goods. Yeah. So it mean looking for a specific type of weather, and it was like you know the clear skies meant that you were you're bound to have clear sky, you know, around sunset, so you can get the, you know, the nice light. But you get nothing else. There's no cloud, there's no excitement. So going out on the sort of hit and miss days when, you know, it's it's overcast, but there's the potential for it to break up and the potential yep. for the sun to get under the cloud or for that contrast of dark and light yes. and whatnot. It meant, um, you know, you know I, was, I, I was willing to do that. And when you do that... Um, it's so much more rewarding when it when it comes off, you know, yeah. and so much more of it can come off as well because you're working with a subject whereby, you know, the reflective surface is going to make the most of whatever contrast you have there. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and I really like that. And sometimes it would come, it would come with bright colours as well. So you know, the, the roaring canvas shot, you know, especially if the sun does pop out from under a cloud, um, anywhere near sunset, then you're going to get a lot of that very bright orange underlighting, which is Again, it's, it's very nice and it's very pretty, and I've loved it for, for, for years. But um, 
there are other qualities to that light which I thought worked well, which I wanted, other than the colour. Yes. You know what I mean? So you know that thing where, where for example, after sunset, when you start to get the, the alpine glow and, and you've got that kind of gradation in the sky, especially if it's a clear sky, so you've got the yes. bright orange on the horizon and it's getting darker above. And yeah. Once that's reflected as well in the foreground, um, you get, again, that lovely tonal gradation where it's sort of dark in the foreground going to a brighter horizon. Yes. And that was something I find found worked really well and I wanted to pursue uh, that um, as part of you know the body work that's the sort of light i was looking for but i didn't really want the bright colors with it you know yes and so yeah. that was what it when i was looking at the work you know i didn't decide to do it straight away in black and white it was when i came across shots like that and i thought it's a bit too much with the color and i tried the um you know the converter to black and white and then it suddenly hit me oh yes that's it i just want the tone not the yes. color yeah so once yes. i did that you know, then the, the rest of the project was, was yeah, yeah, because yeah, as, yeah, as you say, it's real. It's the it's the the cent the central point. You're getting the brightness on both the reflection, and then it just nicely peters away on both sides. Yeah. As you say, it, I suspect it probably doesn't have the same impact and the same effect as it does in color. But but it's interesting to know that you you were initially shooting it in color, and then yeah. I'm, I'm assuming that one once that kind of the, the whole tonal range became apparent in terms of being really important. I, I, I take it from that point on, you decided that the whole project was going to be in black and white. Yes, yeah. And then you start looking. And then once you've done that, you can yep. start looking, you start looking through black and white eyes, if you like, then you look yes. for, yep. for tonal qualities. And yes. uh, and that's really exciting as well. That's quite nice. Um, you know, when I was very, very first a photographer back on film, um, and learning the, the, the trade. It was black and white that we started with first because you know you have to yeah. develop the film and it's obviously easier to do in black and white. Um, and it was just nice to go back to that. You know, I just had a feeling that, you know, here I am just exploring something I've not done for years. And um, and yeah, it is, it is, you know, it's, it's nice to revisit sort of, yeah. sort of simple, you know, uh, photography craft. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because that, absolutely, you really, you really do have to bring out the, the 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 detail between the contrast and light, particularly with the subject matter you're shooting, because otherwise it can just be very, very dark, big, dark patches of mud, effectively. Yeah. Whereas, I, what I really like about the work as well is is the range and definition that the water the, of the patterns that have been created in the mud as well. I think it, I think it's beautiful, and you can just see the the light reflecting on the edges of it, depending on what way on what way the yeah. lights, what the way the light's shooting as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's sort of it being a, a sort of tidal landscape as well. It, it's prone to all the you know the vagaries of the tide, and yes. um, and so for example, there'd be areas where you might go above the mean tide line uh, in the middle of summer, for example. And if it hasn't been a spring tide for a week or so, then the mud dries out and cracks. So you get all those patterns, yeah. but then you don't get any reflectiveness because it's so dry. Yes. But then, of course, if you visit and the tides, you know, it's been a high, high spring tide and it's, the, you know, the tide's then going out, then it's leaving behind this fresh, moist, glistening. Yes, kind of absolutely. You get a yeah. completely different sort of set of things going on. So it meant that in, in a very sort of limited number of locations as well. I mean, um, there's one there that you'll probably notice it, it repeats a lot. There's this place, Sand Bay, um, which... Yeah, I think it's called Sand Bay because it is about the sandiest place on the coast, but it's not very sandy. But right. um, <laughs> you can go there several times and there's just so much 
in one location because of the uh, you know the difference in the the tide and yeah. the light and whatnot. You get so much different stuff there. Um, I thought that you know that's quite interesting as well because I'm used to kind of just going around and shooting around all sorts of different places, but going to one place and exploring the qualities of the lights rather than just going to a place because you know it's on the shop list, you know, or something. Yeah, yeah that's also. Yeah, a, but a you, bit of you, that I yeah, you, yeah, you must you must have got really used to and really encouraged by exploring the same stretch, the same beach, the yes. same bay under entirely different conditions in terms of yeah. there's been very very high tides and what the conditions have left when it's gone out and and all those sorts of aspects as well, which I suppose is we're all used to dealing with weather conditions because it's what kind of drives us out to do the shots. But I suppose this is something that's looking at it very differently in terms of you're looking maybe for specific tides to generate the patterns and the the styles of shots that you're looking to add to the the portfolio. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a, there's a real sense of timing there because I mean, you find, for example, there's, there's all sorts of sinuous channels that are created, you know, by the movement yep. of the tides. And you think to yourself, you know, that it would be quite nice to get a shot with the, the channel actually filled with water. And then you've got to you've got to plan that for a particularly high spring tide and to be there at just the moment. Right. And it's amazing how quickly the it tide changes. goes. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's crazy. You always think to yourself, well, okay, we're here at high tide now, so I can set up the camera. You turn around and suddenly, you know, it's, it's gone. You know, it's, it's, a, it's down by a foot or something. So uh, yeah. you've got to work quite quickly. And um, and I always sort of work with uh, with bracketing exposures as well to make sure, you know, just because you can once you've got digital uh, cameras, you can, uh, yeah. you can bracket to make sure that you've got it all and then merge it later to make sure you've got all the tone. Um, and um, and if you're working like with a... With a um, an ND filter on and you're sort of working with 10 second exposures for that kind of blurry effect the difference between the brackets is is you know the water's gone down by quite some some way so um so yeah it is a there is a timing element to it which you're not always used to I use a landscape photographer I know you know a lot of us are, are much more um you know exploring things like there's movement in in yeah. you know grasses and whatnot it's um I was, I was listening to to John Gibbs one that you did um, yes. a couple of weeks ago, and uh, and he was on about the timing of getting that movement in in the grasses, and um, but yeah, but, you know, as as big view landscape photographers, you know, which is the sort of work that I've been used to doing, is you know, your, your grand view. You're not really used to things changing too quickly, yes. so you know that kind of tidal kind of coastal environment where everything's kicking off quite quickly. Again, yes. it's another another sort of challenging aspect of the work, isn't it? Well, that's it. Particularly, I suppose, when there's when you're dealing with fine fine dimensions and, and very fine-tuned elements in terms of once the once the water either rises or drops too low then you either begin you've got too much definition in the patterns or you yeah. lose the definition entirely at which point it's like pack up and go home sort of time yeah. um which while i suppose it allows you to go out on the on the murky days you've still got that added challenge of well it could be over pretty quickly here yeah yeah, definitely. Yeah, but what what I also like is obviously talking about the ones where the shots where there's far more definition. The the the, the shots where you've got the cracks through them reminds me very much of like the role in Yorkshire countryside with the the stone walls and and the fields and they're so beautifully produced. You probably could draw them or paint them better. Yeah, they just look so natural and so sweeping, but. Yeah, just beautiful, and it reminds me a lot of like so the, some of the shots you see from the salt lakes down in Bolivia as well. Just on, yes. on a very different 
different nature, but still probably created, I suppose, largely in the same sort of in the same sort of manner. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I guess there's you know there are physical forces, aren't there, to, to nature it, yeah. producing these uh, these patterns, and um, and it is uh, you know yeah, it's it's a lovely thing to be able to sort of you know focus you know write down and 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 you know um, explore that as a subject. Yeah. Which again comes back to you know th that's why this was this was such an indulgence project for me because there's no value in such pictures as stock photography and so yeah, that's what yeah. that's that was the mindset I was going into this as was, was you know this is what I was trying to you know because I'd spent years just thinking well I'm not doing any close-up work because nobody wants to buy it and so yeah. you know and so it was really nice to to have a project where it's like no just just explore it for its own beauty you know these are the reasons why you like photography in the first place so um, so yes yeah, certainly like those close-up textural shots and whatnot as well for a real yeah. kind of joy to get yeah, back to. they're beautiful and just just the lovely patterns and shapes that they all begin to create as well is just it really adds and it really it shows, i think it shows just a very different side of what the mud the mud is like because many people will be used to being huge big parts that you just get stuck in and it's not very pretty but yeah. it's actually there's something really very painterly and very beautiful about when it's all dried out and there's just the, the wonderful cracks that people are used to seeing from deserts etc all over the world yeah yeah no definitely yeah yeah it's an it's it's an acquired taste if you're a holiday maker i guess you know i, um, yeah, I, would, I would imagine so yes yeah, somewhat yes. some some somewhat not normal if i suspect yeah you're if you're a holiday maker you're looking more for the sand as opposed to yeah. some as opposed to some dried out mud that's yeah, just definitely. got some bonny cracks going down <laughs> it um, <laughs> But I suppose I suppose that's where we're where we're all different, and uh, yeah, it's it's a wonderful project, and it just really represents something that I think is far more common on the British coastline than than people are probably used to seeing. I think everyone thinks of the coastline and thinks of seascapes as, as we've said before, dunes, sandy beaches, whereas I think actually seeing huge, big, vast areas of mud yeah. are, are are probably far more common than and far more. Uh, far more viewable than you would think and actually this really just documents it so so beautifully with just the the intricate and the the close-up details as well as the the, the bigger vista shots which i, I think is a wonderful combination thank you i'm, I'm glad you like it <laughs> and and when you started when you started doing the project um, i was a book ever something that was in 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 the back of your mind or what would yes yeah um yeah, it was, to be honest with you. Um, I, I had done a, a previous book with uh, Francis Lincoln Publishers, which is about, it was uh, just the local area, Somerset yep. and Bristol, but that was a very different sort of project. That was a really classic sort of, um, I don't know, area scenic coffee yep. table book, I suppose. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I was really, really proud of it. I really enjoyed, enjoyed doing it and um, it was really nice. Um, and I thought it's really nice once a project has a, a, a little bit of weight to it to kind of work towards something, um, something you know, rather than yeah. having it, you know, on your hard drive and looking at it and feeling proud of yourself, which is a very nice, I mean, that's, you know, it's a nice thing to do, isn't it? So yes. it's a great picture and just to look at, yeah, you know, be proud that. of the fact that you've taken it. Um, so I had this, I mean, something that we do in, in our part of Bristol quite a lot is have a lot of... Um, front room art trails around okay. local areas right. where yes. you know, people yep. come into your houses and and, uh, and host your work and they're sort of as interested in, in how you decorated your house rather than your work yeah. Um, yeah. nosiness yeah but it's nice it's kind of committed nosiness I quite yes. like it yeah 
So I sort of did it with the mind to having a mini exhibition in my house. Um, this is the previous house, not the yep. dilapidated one that uh, we let me then moved into. Um, and at the same time, I had been a big fan of the output from Triple Kites yep. uh, publishers. Um, yes. And I thought, well, there, uh, I'd originally sort of uh, just approached Francis Lincoln because they were, you know, because I knew the people there. Yeah, yeah you just saying, I'm doing this, I don't suppose you're interested. And they said, you're, you're right, you suppose no. correctly, we're not. <laughs> um, and I thought, well, Triple Kite do more, I don't know, to put a lazy word on it, arty kind of photography yep. books. Um, yes. But you no, know, much more just, you know, pure photography for, it, for its own love. And then, so I approached them and, um, and they, yeah, they sort of said, well, it's a good project, but you know, maybe you need to sort of just get on and promote it first. Uh, uh, but then later they said, yeah, they would be, uh, they'd be happy to do it as they're bringing out books in trios, you know, so that yes. you know, there were three coming out at once. Um, and so, yeah, I jumped on, on, on that and thought, well, that would be a nice, nice thing to do. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's pleased I did, actually. It was, um, yeah. it's nice to, you know, I don't know, I'm just, you're just proud to make a book, aren't you? And, and the fact that some people have bought it who aren't known to me is... is well, that, that, that's it. You're always... Gonna, you're, you're, your mum and your best friends are always going to buy it, even if you've got to give them the money, the money to Absolutely. buy it themselves. But yeah, as you say, when you get others in the photography community and non-photography community who, who, who see value in your work, it's, it's, it's yes. absolutely... It's, it's a wonderful feeling um, that other people... Can, take enjoyment from the body of work you've you've produced and i think it, i think it's a wonderful book lovely i really like the cover um it's think, yeah it's nice isn't it i think, I think, I think my um i, I mean that's it, 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 i'm glad it's on there and i'm glad they sort of agree with it that's my it's my favorite picture from the body of work and it is probably i don't know it's really difficult as photographers isn't it to have a favorite picture but for a picture that i took so long ago i'm still enormously proud of it um you know it kind of embodies a, a it's not often where you're, you're in a situation you think, would it be, this would be really good if it ended up looking like this and you can see it in your mind's eye. Yeah. And, and it did. Um, and yeah. so I was, you know, I was kind of delighted. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it remains, and it remains what, a favourite. Yeah, one question I really need to add is how many times did you get stuck in the mud? Because, <laughs> I, I, because I, I can only imagine, we all know what it's like traipsing through the mud um, and it, it must have been quite sink or swim at some points, I would imagine. It is tricky. Certainly, that, well, the shot on the cover there was uh, certainly I had to, when I was retrieving my left foot, I left my welly behind um, and I managed to get the welly out. So that was something. There's lots of mini kind of just things going a bit too far for comfort. You know, like yes. you stick the, I'm sticking the tripod on the, on the mud. Yeah, and sometimes the mud's hard enough for you just to balance it there. Sometimes you sort of stick it in by half a foot, you know, the, um, yes. just to get a bit of purchase to make sure it's absolutely Still, uh, yeah. solid, especially in the high winds. Yeah. And then it can be a bit of a battle getting the legs out. Um, yeah. But uh, but soon after that, I kind of learned that the, um, I mean, lots of the mud flats there have these kind of, you know, these more solid ridges, which I think is where the, the mud has been bound by the various marron grasses and stuff, you know, various things. Yes. Okay. There's, there's certain plant species, I think, that hold it together. Yeah. Um, and if you step on those bits, those are pretty sound, you know, because they've okay. still got a mat of roots in them holding yes. together. If you go into the channels between them, then they might be solid or they might be like a foot of gloop underneath you. Um, yeah. So you learn to sort of stick to the, uh, the the high ground, as it were. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is one of my sort of nightmare scenarios, I think, the idea of getting stuck in the mud on it. You know. 
in, in yeah. a place you know, with a changing tide. So I was yeah. pretty careful P- to make sure I didn't. Particularly when you're out by yourself, I think it's yeah. I think it's always one of these things. I think for all for any of us who shoot out at the coast, it's always something you're very mindful of and wary of is where the tide's coming or whether the tide's going out. And yeah, as you say, the last thing you want to do is get particularly if you're stuck in mud. There, there's one thing if you're on a sandy beach and you just maybe need to leg it pretty quickly. Yeah. If, if you're out in if you're out in the middle of mud and one one you're running back and one one false step and you're up to your knees in the mud, then yeah, yeah I can imagine it's it's one yeah. of those things you just need to be a bit mindful of. Absolutely. I mean, certainly I was never mucking around on the tide line when the tide was uh, coming in. Yes. Yeah. Was that? Yeah. It would yeah. always be on the on the receiving oh, tide. Yeah. Uh, so it gave you a fair few hours in case the worst happened. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, but it was, um, it, yeah, it is, you know, as long as you're, you're not daft, it is safer than, um, you know, than it need necessarily be. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, obviously the front cover is one of your favourite images from the body of work. Are there any other images within the book that uh, have special meaning from just from, um, from the process of shooting it or or just... Certainly, I mean, I, there was lots of pictures I took around the mouth of the River Parrot, um, which is sort of like, you know, it's the, um, it's like a bit of a corner there, as you can imagine such a thing. You look on the map, it's kind of like, you know, the, um, yeah. the whole Crystal Channel sort of takes a bit of a dog leg. And so you can imagine all this, you know, there's miles and absolutely miles of flats yes. going out because it all gets stuck in this corner. And then this, this kind of river meanders through it. Um, and there's some pictures there of a little channel that kind of runs into it, which I kind of explored on a few days um, uh, at various states of tide. And there was one, you know, talking about having to time the tide properly. There's one on page 25 there where um, I'd managed to sort of get there early enough yep. for, you know, on a high tide to get the channel of water. And, um, and I think you can see just just about sort of see there's a difference in tone on the on the grasses either side that's where the high tide mark was where the dark marks are Ah, right okay and it it dropped from there to the the point in the picture you know within two frames you know so it was really quick quick work and then two frames later it was empty the channel it was it was nonsense uh it it was really right okay so it's a it's it's obviously a very very quick moving yeah tide some tides obviously take a wee bit of time to to filter down yeah i think i got there a bit late so i think if i'd got there just as it was coming in and sat sat at the uh the high tide mark and then gone out then i've had more more time um but uh that was an exciting shoot and i was pleased pleased with the results of it because it was again one of those things where i thought well it would look interesting with the water in because the water would reflect the sky and it would give it that tonal difference yes. and you'd be able to then see the you know the meandering shape better um, yeah which is you know the kind of theme that i was exploring there was yeah, that kind definitely. of yeah. shape that water makes and uh, a similar thing was it is much later on in the book on page where is it there on page 45 there was this little channel kind of a grassy channel um, ah, yes yep at sand bay again sort of filled with water at dusk um and I was really, yeah, I was really pleased. I mean, that was actually taken in the dark. So by that time, I couldn't really see it. And so there's no filter on that. It's just a, a really long exposure, oh, sure. kind of naturally. Yep. And I just quite like the way it kind of looks like the, the land is breaking apart, you know, like a, yeah. like a, like it's, like it's splitting, like it's yes. divided. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are, those are two that I was, I was particularly pleased, uh, yeah. pleased with, you know, from, from 
resource points of view and also the excitement of, of you know being there in the field well yeah that's it and as you say you, you spend the time researching and, and identifying shots that might work under certain certain conditions and it's it, as you say it's being there at the right time and and uh, making sure that you, you you capture the shot that it is you're looking for and yeah i love the the two shots you've both talked about it's really nice when you see the water and you just get the, the lovely tonal light going through and it just really yeah. leads, you, leads you straight through into the rest of the picture which i think works works so well in the subject matter yeah yeah definitely and certainly in black and white as well you know it's, it's absolutely absolutely did you true. did you have you ever tried have you ever continued or ever looked at them in color or worked with them in color yeah i mean some of them, I mean, they do work individually, some of them in, yep. in colour as well. Not, not necessarily so much the ones taken like, in deep dark because they're so yes. heavily blue, basically. Um, yep. But I do like, you know, the individual shots, um, you know, as, as colour shots as well. But, you know, it's really difficult to put a body of work together, you know, with colour and black and white yes. all in the same body of work. I, I know, again, you know, listening to, to, to Johnson's view um, a couple of weeks ago, I think, I think his book, which I have to get, actually, the... Um, the June's Whispers book. I yeah, think he's he saying he's got black and white and colour together. Yes. I'd be really interested. To, uh, that's why I want to get it actually. I'm just interested to see how that how that goes yeah. together because I didn't find probably because like I was saying before, some of the lighting conditions were so garishly bright yes. that yeah. it just popped too much against black and white. You know, yeah. so it's quite nice to have it all together um, as black and white. But yeah. No, really, really, really nice. So, yeah, obviously you maybe collect a few photo books yourself. Whisper's definitely yeah. one I can recommend. But I'd be really interested to know maybe three, four or five of your favourite photo books from other photographers within your own bookshelves. Yes. Um, it's interesting. It's a bit like Desert Island Disney, isn't it? You're a little yes. bit kind of concerned about just saying the same old stuff, you know, and you want to try and, you know, you want to try and find the photographer nobody else has heard of, you know, That's it. and introduce the world to it. Yep. But I thought, no, I'm going to be a little bit more, um, what's the word, honest than that. And Absolutely. I think I'm going to throw into the basket, like I'm sure many before I have, um, because, I, I, you know, I love it. It is a wonderful body of work. And it's, I think it's what inspired me to get into landscape photography, because I started off as a wildlife photographer, and then I saw a talk by Joe Cornish, and I was just blown away by the depth of this large format landscape work. So I bought First Light when it came out. Yeah. And it's just, it's an incredible body of work. And his Scotland Mountains and Scotland's Coast books as well. Yeah. They're just, they're wonderful work. And I love them. And I, you know, if I'm feeling blue or I haven't been able to get out for a bit, I open those and look at them and I read the stories that go with them. And I love them. Yeah. Um, and they're epic. Um, but, um, and then when I, we moved to New Zealand, there is a photographer there, I don't know whether you've heard of, called Craig Potton. Nope. Ah, great. Right. Um, he runs, he's a photographer, and he runs a, a publishing company uh, that publishes excellent calendars and books all about New Zealand, the New Zealand landscape. Okay. Um, and at first, I looked at his work, and because I was kind of, you know, brought up on uh, the sort of colour and depth of Joe Cornish's work and, and that sort of thing, I didn't quite get on with it because it was—it's quite subtle stuff. Okay. Um, you know, the colours are you know, fairly gloomy, and he used—he was a big fan of using um, ectochrome, ectochrome, I don't know, whatever it's the. Um, the Kodak version of films rather than, he wasn't a, a Fuji Bellevue like everybody else it, was. And so yep. it was very sort of more subtle color palette. So he has uh, a fair few books. My favorite, I'll show you here, it's called Moments and Memory. Moments and Memory, okay, yeah. Moments and Memory. Yep. Um, that's an absolute beauty. Um, 
you can probably pick that up. I picked this one up secondhand uh, over here. So yep. you might be able to find that secondhand, I would have thought. Very good. Um, which would probably be a pleasing news to your bank account, which might get another hit. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Everything's, always, everything's always good when you can pick it up relatively easily. Isn't it? Yeah, it's a cracker. And he did, he's also got this excellent book, um, which he actually gave me because um, at the time I went to, I went to his publishing house and sold, you know, a few photos because when I was there in New Zealand, you know, for his um, yeah. publishing for in, in his calendars. And when I was there, the publishing manager just loaded me up with all of these, these books from their shelves. Fantastic. And one of them was this one. This is a bodywork called Improbable Eden. Right. And it's pictures of the dry valleys of Antarctica. Quite incredible. Um, and it's amazing. Um, I mean, it's, it's just full of... It's got great narrative as well, uh, written by some other chap. And uh, it's just all about kind of, I don't know, I suppose the story of it is the, the effect that uh, the wind can have in oh. sculpting the landscape, um, yep. you know, because there's no rain there. Yes. So everything is sculpted yep. by sand-blown wind. Yep. Um, and I'm, I know that the people won't be able to hear it, but I'm just showing you, for example, this sort of picture with this kind of rock sculpture. Fantastic, um, yeah. All utterly naturally sculpted. Yeah. And this particular book, quite bravely, has a sort of pull-out four-page centerfold featuring nothing but gravel. Right. Which sounds a bit crazy, but it is, an, it's, you know, an integral part of the story. Look, it's an absolute cracker. I can't imagine, you know, the printing costs for this, but it's a yeah. four-page pull-out, just the gravel, fairly ground gravel at that. But it really does fit into the whole story of the... Um, you know the book as a whole yeah, and, the so, and, the, and the landscape i'd imagine as well yeah yes definitely i mean it's just it's bleak it's beautiful it's pure pure wilderness really which is kind of you know i don't know i suppose there's, there's something quite um you know romantic about the idea of exploring the place so remote yeah um i'm sure the reality of it's pretty grim i would imagine so yes certainly sort of sitting at home thinking about it you know in a kind of fantastical way um then i like the idea <laughs> oh yeah I, I think most people would probably agree with that sentiment yeah definitely definitely and uh just a couple more wouldn't mind mentioning yep. uh cool one was, uh, uh matt botwood in yep. uh in wales um he did a book a while ago um where it was all sort of um uh, negative versions of uh, just intimate landscapes it's yeah. uh, travels in a strange land dark spaces i yeah. just thought that was just so inventive and it's kind of just memorizing just to open on any page and just sort of let your imagination wander in, in the pictures there yeah really nice um yeah so those are a few of my favorite and then uh, my fellow uh triple kites um Publishes as well. Um, I'm a big fan of David Baker's Sea yeah. Fever, yeah. which I've just pulled out. This is definitely a top shelf book. Uh, yeah. No, no other reason than its size, not that it's full well, of. Well, that, that's it. It's, it's, it's a sort. It's a sort of book someone does, and you've got to have one shelf that's specific for the book of that size. Absolutely, yeah. And it's, it's an absolute it's, beauty. Yeah, but, oh, it's, again, it's wonderful but, work. Yeah, just for it's so imaginative. Um, yeah. You know, when I first saw it, and I just thought, that's just, you know, yeah, it's incredible. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, something I can't stop looking at, really. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a great, great body of work. The only downside, as you say, is the size of the book for, not for the, not for viewing the images, because they work so yeah. well on the scale, but for finding a, a, bl a bloody shelf in it that you can that's pick That's right, yeah. yeah. 
in, very inconsiderate of David, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Some sort of pocket version we're going to have in three games. Yes, that's <laughs> it, yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah. Well, those are, yeah, some fantastic suggestions there. And there's a couple that uh, Craig Potter and I look forward to having a wee look at some of his stuff. Yeah. It, really, it really looks very interesting, uh, particularly the improbable Eden one. But uh, yeah, certainly moments of memory as well, because it's great. Uh, it's, it's great hearing just what other books people recommend, what other books inspire other people, because it just... It just opens up doors to to coming across new bodies of work and new photographers to follow and, and take yeah. inspiration from, or even just get their book so you can sit down because there's there's nothing really more enjoyable than sitting down and having a flick through someone's some body of work if you're maybe looking, absolutely if you're looking for a bit of motivation or something like that to try yeah. and force yourself back out with a camera. Yeah, definitely. I always find there's like a there's a month in spring. I think usually like the end of February or the beginning of March, so we're just just about had enough of the whole winter experience. Yeah, and uh, that seems to be like I just gravitate towards the book collection and pull out a, a Jay Cornish and usually one of Craig Potter's. I also have some of his walking books as well, which sort of document some of the great walks you can do around New Zealand. They call it tramping over there. Yeah. Um, and I just love it because I'm not only revisiting memories of, of my own experiences there as well, but it's. It's just nice to imagine yourself away in these Absolutely. places sometimes. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then you, well, yeah. That's it. It's like it's the same. I I enjoy picking up books from places that I've travelled to and I've maybe got a connection with, and it's maybe not the city. It's, it's, I suppose a lot of city street photography. I I like particularly of Japan and American things like that. Places yeah. that I've been to that I, I picked a book up earlier on this week. Um, and it was of it was basically photographing the really narrow spaces between houses in oh, Japan. Yes, yes, I saw it in your newsletter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is just it's having it just transported. When I saw the images, I thought, yeah, it just took me back to my travels yeah. around Japan and stuff like that. And you think, yeah, it's just it's just really nice, and I enjoy those sorts of those sorts of books because yeah, it's maybe it's not the style I would shoot. But it, 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 as you say, it brings out happy memories and it, yeah. you can imagine yourself being back there again and experiencing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Nice, isn't it? It's, it's wonderful, particularly at the moment when you can't travel anywhere, but uh, yes. other, than, other than in your own country safely. So um, yeah. but to be honest, there's so much to see in Scotland, England, Wales. So it's yeah. uh, it's a good opportunity and a, and a good excuse to go and see uh, go and see some of these places along with the uh, 55 million other people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> before, before next year, everyone returns to their usual hunts overseas. So um, I'm not going to complain too much, to be honest. But, uh, no. No, but too sure. thank you very much for your time this evening, uh, James. It's been a pleasure chatting to you. Wonderful to hear about it. Uh, hear about your book and your adventures in the mud um, and as I say really really pleased to have it on my shelf it's a it's a really just a, a cracking body of work that I really like um, my sort of style of photography so thank you very much for your time cheers it's been an absolute pleasure thanks Ewan cheers thank you